Hello and welcome to GradCast, the official podcast and radio show of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I'm your host, Emily Hutchinson. And I'm your co-host, Ron Mandota. And today we are broadcasting an episode from our hashtag graduated life series. All our guests are Western grad school alumni. And today we are talking with Dr. Christina Booker. Welcome to GradCast. Hello, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. It's awesome to have you. Uh, First off, can you introduce yourself? Tell us what you did at Western and uh, very briefly what research you were doing. Sure. So I did my PhD in analytical chemistry here at Western. So my research involved designing methods to concentrate and identify proteins, and then also analyzing bio oils for pesticide properties. So I had an interesting experience collaborating with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada and chemical engineering. So I submitted my PhD in 2011 and defended in 2012. So we'd like to ask, where are you now and what brought you here? Yes. So I defended my PhD in 2012. After the third year of my PhD research, I had my daughter. And then by the time I defended my PhD, I was expecting my son. So I took a few months to enjoy being a mom and at home with them. And then I started working part-time as a faculty member at Fanshawe College. And then a couple of years later at Brescia University College. Then in 2015, I started working as a limited duties instructor. So teaching part-time in the department of chemistry. So I taught very large first-year classes and had a lot of fun with that. And then taught second-year environmental chemistry. And while I was a limited duties prof, I took on a part-time role as an educational developer at the Center for Teaching and Learning. So there I got to work with graduate students on teaching strategies and work with faculty on teaching. And it was a lot of fun. Then about two years ago, I took on a full-time faculty role, which just this past year turned into a teaching scholar role. So it's kind of like a tenure track teaching position. It's a continuing position. Um, Rather than official research, I have a scholarship component. So I get to work on course design while also doing research on teaching. So I teach in chemistry and in the integrated science program. Wow, that that's I have lots of questions just based off that, but I'll start kind of at the beginning. So you said that you had your kids during your grad degree. Can you talk a little bit about what that was like for you? Because I know some people in my department have kids, other people don't. And it seems like it's so it would be so much harder if you do have kids at home. So how did you navigate that and and how did you deal with all that extra responsibility? Yes. Um, so it was intense, but I would do it again. And I absolutely love having my kids. Um, My kids just had their 10th and 12th birthdays. So it feels like it's been a long time now. Um, So after the third year of my PhD research, that's when my daughter was born. It took an adjusting time when I found out I was expecting and definitely some adjustment once she was born. I had an NSERC scholarship. So I was able to take a few months of parental leave, which was absolutely amazing and a huge blessing. That said, uh, a few days after she was born, I was definitely in tears at my dining table doing revisions on an article that needed those revisions resubmitted within a few days. Um, So the balancing act um, was interesting at moments, Um, 
but it was great. Um, I had a really supportive supervisor and lots of amazing supportive people in my life. Um, so when she was six months old, I came back full time and worked my butt off. I finished up my research in a couple months and got my thesis submitted in less than a year. So my days during that time were intense. Um, so I worked incredibly diligently when I was at work and I just kind of focused on work when I was at work and focused on my family when I was at home with them. And so I had this crazy schedule of getting up and the first hour or two was with my baby and then the baby would go to daycare and I would work straight seven or eight hours. I'd go home. It was family time, baby time, baby went to bed, an extra hour of research time and then time with my partner and rinse, wash, repeat. Um, so it wasn't easy, but it was incredibly fulfilling and, and it worked out. Now I have a follow-up to that because that seemed like a very long schedule. So I was wondering <laughs> when did you sleep? <laughs> I definitely prioritized sleep. It was a little crazy, definitely not sustainable for many years, but for one year I had the goal and, mm -hmm. and I had a really supportive network as well. Uh, so we made it through um, some hiccups along the way, you know, week one daycare was canceled. And so we had to find different daycare, um, you know, baby get sick. My daughter may have come in and visited campus once or twice, um, but we made it through and it was very fulfilling. Do you have any advice for students that have kind of like a bigger family life, like that kind of thing and how to balance it, like maybe with kids, but also other parts of your life? How did you balance like your work life and your home life or, or what would your advice be for doing that? Yes. Um, initially, when I first went back to work, I had to do some mental mind games just to be able to when I was at work to focus on work and not be double and triple checking my choices. Um, I we had an agreement that I wouldn't reevaluate my decisions during the first week or two of anything new. So you just kind of push through those first few difficult weeks, and then you can always reevaluate later. Um, as a faculty member, I very quickly discovered I needed to disconnect my email from my personal phone. So the volume of emails that I get in my role is very high. And I found that was very quickly invading any mental thinking space or family space that I had. So I decoupled that. I made it a priority to keep up with my emails multiple times a day, you know, once or twice on the weekend, but not letting it consume every moment of my day when I wasn't at work. I was curious of, did you always see yourself teaching at the university or did you see a different career path ahead of yourself? Yes. Oh, it was a meandering path for sure. Definitely not one straight direction. Um, in high school, I was deciding music versus science. In my undergrad, it was psychology versus chemistry and chemistry won out. Um, and then in my graduate studies, do I want to go to teacher's college or do I continue with a PhD? And there were different decision factors every step along the way. Um, I was, uh, I've received an NSERC scholarship. And so that definitely helped me to 
decide to stay in graduate school and pursue my PhD studies and transfer out of that master's. So every step along the way, I wanted to do something I was interested in, and I had different interests from music to psychology to chemistry, um, but I always knew that I loved teaching. So I started teaching piano lessons and swimming lessons when I was in high school. I worked at a camp as a counselor. I was involved with my church, working with kids. Um, when I was in graduate school, I really liked working as a teaching assistant and mentoring undergraduate students in our lab. So I knew that I wanted to be able to work with people. I wanted to be able to communicate ideas and teach people, but I also wanted to find a way to apply the higher level science skills that I acquired in graduate school. Um, so teaching at the higher education level at college or university was just a really great fit for my interests and my desire to work with people and to make a difference in people's lives. So now you're in a faculty position and you're focused mostly on teaching. Are you doing any research at all either? Like back to what you did in your PhD with the chemistry, are you doing any of that now following up on that work? Yes. So in terms of the wet lab chemistry research, I'm not running a chemistry lab, but with my new teaching teaching scholar position, I'm just starting to do research on teaching strategies. So um, we're exploring ways to communicate science concepts, um, enhance problem solving skills, but I also want to look at that with a lens of um, equity and a sense of belonging in STEM, especially with underrepresented groups such as women in science. Um, so I'm starting to work with women in science with a new mentorship program we want to start between graduate students and undergraduates. Um, I'm also collaborating on a research project to explore the experiences of undergraduates, graduates, staff, and faculty um, across STEM disciplines at Western, what that experience is like, and how we can help and support underrepresented groups and make that a great experience. Uh, following up on that uh, teaching undergraduates and graduates, I, I, was, I was curious on uh, what kind of strategies you employ while working with graduate students as, as opposed to undergraduate student classrooms. That's a good question. I worked with graduate students as an educational developer at the Center for Teaching and Learning. Um, so I ran programs and workshops, um, consulted one-on-one -on -one talking about teaching dossiers and CVs and uh, job applications. Um, so it's really exciting working with graduate students because they have um, enriched perspectives and so many different life experiences. Um, a lot of many graduate students are international graduate students. So they have additional language skills and perspectives that I really value. So um, for teaching with graduate students, I try to use a lot more discussion strategies and case-based learning. Um, my teaching in chemistry is mainly focused in undergraduate education right now. And what made you choose Western? Was it that you were living in London? Was there something about the program because you you went to school here and now you work here? So is there something special about Western? Yes, it has a very pretty campus. Yes. <laughs> so I grew up most of my life in Northern Ontario. And so to be able to have um, a lot of options in the science field, um, I needed to move to a different location. Uh, Western had a beautiful campus. They had so many programs to choose from. So I came in thinking physics, 
from music and chemistry. I wasn't sure where I wanted to go, but I knew Western would have all the different options that I was interested in, no matter what I chose. Um, it also had a lot of opportunities for summer research and clubs and to be able to connect with other people. So that was a good fit. Um, I decided to stay and do my PhD here um, because by then I was married and starting to grow roots in the location. And again, the research that I was interested in in analytical chemistry, um, there are already some professors here who had research groups on those topics. Um, so it was a really good fit and I enjoyed it so much. I came back to teach here as well. So you said you came to Western and there was a lot of options on what you wanted to do. What I'm curious as to what led you down chemistry as your as the thing you wanted to do. Yes, that's a great question. I've always loved puzzle solving. So I worked on jigsaw puzzles as a kid and I just finished another jigsaw puzzle this week. So I do it with my kids now or even by myself. Um, and I love brain teasers and solving problems and thinking about um, especially mathematical problems from different perspectives. So chemistry really connected with me because I was able to learn the background theory and concepts and then apply it to a variety of situations to be able to predict what was happening or to be able to begin to understand the world around me at a molecular level. So I enjoyed the challenge and I enjoyed how all these pieces started fitting together. Um, in undergraduate, it seems like all the pieces are fitting together and we can explain everything. And then you get to graduate school and realize there are so many things we have yet to explain, um, but that's okay. So if you had to go back and do it all again, would you uh, pick the same thing as you did now? Like do, lo looking back and saying like, okay, this is how you got there. Do you think you would do it again or could you see a, a different route to take you to get to where you are now? Great question. I try not to regret decisions that I've made. <laughs> Just sort of think about it step by step with the, with the information that I have, make the best choice at the time. Um, I didn't go into psychology because to be a psychologist, I needed to do graduate school. And there was no way I was going to do graduate school back when I was deciding <laughs> that factor. I did not want to write grants and I did not want to be in school that long. And lo and behold, I was in school that long and I now get to write grants. Um, so perhaps not limiting myself based on things that were intimidating to me might've been helpful. Um, that said, I don't have any regrets for where I've ended up. Um, it's a really unique area to work. It's the specialized knowledge set. It's being able to work with lots of people. Um, I really enjoy working with first year students and uh, Western integrated science students. Um, so I'm very thankful for where I've ended up. Uh, if I might go backtrack a little with the teaching, uh, you talked about you liked uh, TAing during your graduate work. And I was wondering, because a lot of students come in for the first time and they have to TA like a lab or a seminar or something. And sometimes it's daunting to see a bunch of undergraduate students and kind of like not knowing what to do. What advice would you give to graduate students who are doing their first time teaching like a tutorial or a lab? Mm -hmm. Yes, I would ask lots of questions and get as informed as you possibly can be. Um, so with that course that you're doing, maybe seeing if you can connect with other graduate students or teaching assistants who have taught the course ahead of you, offer to take them out for coffee, find out what they did that worked and things that didn't work so well. Um, 
ask your questions to the course instructor, um, figure out what materials you should have and need, um, how much time you have to review those ahead of time. Um, just ask lots of questions until you're satisfied that you're as ready as you can be. The Center for Teaching and Learning at Western, where I used to work, um, also offers some really great training programs. So the Teaching Assistant Training Program, TATP, was something that I got to help coordinate and work with graduate students there. And that just can help to equip graduate students to be more confident as they enter their teaching positions, things like marking strategies or interpersonal communication or designing a lesson. If you have some of these strategies and tools under your belt, it can help you get that confidence and be strategic with the time that's required to be able to teach a class um, and to be more successful along the way. There's no point reinventing the wheel. There's lots of room for creativity, absolutely, um, but it's good to have a few branching points to start off from. I took TATP when I started at my, at my master's and I found it really, really helpful. So I think you guys are doing really good work. I think I actually bumped into you for the first time there, right? You know what? Yep, that's true. <laughs> that was a couple of years ago though. Yeah, it was. And even looking back, like I, I remember in that course, we had to like teach a little mini lesson and then they videoed you and you had to watch it, like watch yourself teach. And that was so hard to do, but also so valuable. Can you talk about like maybe other experiences in grad school that were kind of difficult at the time that looking back on in your own teaching and your own career really ended up helping you later? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, speaking at conferences was one of those really special things in graduate school. I had the opportunity to go to a number of different conferences um, across Ontario, Canada, and even one really great trip to Rio de Janeiro. It can be intimidating to put that abstract in, knowing that they're going to be experts in the field who are listening to you or asking questions at your poster session, um, but it's completely worth it. Um, it's good to challenge yourself and step out of your comfort zone. Going to conferences is also a really great way to network and make connections with people in your discipline or you know, uh, outside of your discipline as well. So that's a good step to challenge yourself to do following up on that say uh you're going to a conference and you want to introduce yourself to someone and you're like oh man this person I really like them and their work is great but I'm a lowly graduate student how do I introduce myself what would you say to other graduate students at that position yes I would say be courageous and just go introduce yourself. Um, Pre-COVID, you shook hands. I'm glad that that's done. So you can, you know, eye contact. Hello, I'm Christina. And I saw that you were working on capillary electrophoresis. And I'm so excited about your work. Can you tell me about this project? Or are you interested in collaborating? Or posing a specific question that shows you know something about their research, you're informed, and that you're you know, ready to chat about something meaningfully. Yeah, you can ask for their email, ask to follow up. Yeah, it can be uncomfortable, but that's okay. That's how connections are made. I have a question actually about how your mindset changed before and after graduation, because on our side, it does seem like it's difficult to be courageous. Like we're doing all these things for the first time. And then graduation just feels like this big hurdle that when we jump over it, everything will be good and we'll have all these skills and we'll know what to do. Did you find that that was the case or was it more of a slow development of these skills? I think it's a slow development. And every time you have those little experiences, it can up your confidence, broaden your horizons, increase your skills. 
set. Um, I mean, things are still intimidating <laughs> as a full-time faculty member. Um, and, and that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I think there can be an illusion in academia that once you get to a certain level, you have it all figured out. And I certainly haven't reached that level. And any meaningful conversation I've had with other faculty members, you can reveal that many people are still exploring new areas. Um, something exciting in academia is there's always research. There's always something new to try in teaching or in research. And so that means no one is a perfect expert and everyone's still learning and finding new methods and strategies. And so it's a learning process for everyone. And I think that's a good thing in academia. Uh, I have a question. I'm curious. Uh, was there anything ever during your graduate work where you're just like, I don't know why I'm doing this or <laughs> I don't see the benefit of this. But then when you uh, graduated, you were like, oh, I do see why they made me do this or why or like learning experiences. You have a different perspective on from mm. when you were in graduate school. Yes. Well, during my first year of graduate school, I found the transition from courses to more free research to be quite uncomfortable. So in undergraduate studies, you do the courses, you learn the material, you do the assignments, you get a grade success, you get to move on and close that chapter. And in graduate studies, you can work really hard for a month and have no experiments that worked the way that you expected them to. And it can be disillusioning and discouraging. Um, I actually made a list during my first year of graduate school of reasons why I was going to drop out and reasons why I was going to stay. Oh. And obviously I decided to stay, but I kept that list in my drawer so that over the following four years, um, as various challenges arose, I would check my list and remind myself of why I decided to stick it out. Um, and it, it was definitely worth it. If you can remember, can you share with us some of those reasons to stay? Because I know that like that, that's a common thought. Like sometimes do, things do go wrong and you're like, why am I here? So what did keep you there? Mm -hmm. I think hmm, I'd have to really think about my list there. Um, some of the reasons were um, experience with certain technical instruments. So I was learning how to use, you know, mass spectrometry and GCMS and collaborating with different um, organizations. I was able to go on an international trip. Um, I was able to be a teaching assistant and I like doing that. I was able to mentor undergraduate students and that was valuable. It was an opportunity that is kind of a privileged opportunity to be able to have that time to pursue education. And so I wanted to take advantage of that special opportunity. Um, I had a scholarship, which was a really great blessing as well. Um, I'd already put in a lot of effort in terms of research and courses. And so I wanted to see that to fruition. Um, I didn't want to regret 10 years down the road that I'd jumped the boat early and didn't actually fulfill the goals that I had. I'm sure there were other reasons, but I'm not remembering them right now. Following up on that, uh... Was, can you recall an experience that you were, that really stood out during your PhD that made, really made you feel like, oh, I was really happy about something that, that an outcome or an experience, some like good memory that you really had? Mm -hmm. I think the conferences were a really fun part of graduate school where you worked for a year or two and you actually had data and you could explain what it meant and you got to be able to go to an exciting opportunity to tell people 
people about it. Um, so I had got to give one student award lecture in Montreal. And so I got to take my partner and my baby and I got to present at this conference. So that was really fulfilling. Um, getting an article published when my baby was a week old, that was fulfilling, it was exhausting. But again, it was just the hard work came to be and that was a satisfying result. Um, I think also just building relation, like collegial relationships with the people in my lab. Um, you know, I can still stay in touch with uh, some of my graduate student colleagues and um, supervisors. And so there are a lot of professional relationships that are developed that can last a lifetime. That's awesome. We are almost, we, we have a bit of time left, but we're almost out of time. So I think the last question that we'll ask you is, uh, what advice would you give, just general advice, to current grad students at Western? And I know this actually really plays into your job because you are like in the process of giving advice to grad students. So maybe women in STEM in particular, but also everybody. Uh, what would you say, like how to get through it? What are you going to see on the outside? What's your final word for the students? Mm -hmm. I'd say you're not alone and reach out for support whenever you want. So find a few people in your professional or um, private network to be able to talk to about challenges. So in your professional network, if research isn't going well, you know, you want to troubleshoot, you want to problem solve, but it's okay to go to someone and ask for their perspective or ask for advice. Um, don't let yourself get so discouraged or isolated before you reach out for support. Um, there's lots of support in terms of research, in terms of professional development and social networks, get connected and ask for support um, whenever you want to, because you're not alone. Thank you. This has been really great. Thanks very much for coming on the show, Christina. Thanks for having me. It was great to chat. This has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. You've been listening to an episode from the series Hashtag Graduated Life. I've been your host, Emily Hutchinson, and my co-host was Sharon Mander. We've been speaking with Dr. Christina Booker, and this episode was produced by me, Emily Hutchinson. If you'd like to be involved with the show or get into contact with us, you can email us at gradcast at sogs.ca, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Gradcast Radio. To listen to us, we're on Radio Western 94.9 FM, and you can find all of our episodes wherever you find your lovely podcasts. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the rest of your day.